Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week, we're going over a big UFC 263 card, headlined by two title fights, and as well as another five-round main event. We got Israel Adesanya going up against Marvin Vittori uh, for the middleweight title. We got Davison Figueredo and uh, Brandon Moreno going head-to-head for the flyweight title. They had fought back in December, if you guys remember. And then lastly, we have a five-round. This is the first time we've ever done it non-title fight non-main event uh five-round fight between nate diaz and leon edwards you gotta believe it's leon ed or sorry it was nate diaz that was able to call up the ufc and be like hey either give me a main event or give me five rounds so i can do the the most work possible with 25 minutes rather than just being brought down to three rounds so uh i'm looking forward to it great scraps all around uh leon edwards uh nate diaz like i was talking about mozart evil versus hakeem duwadu is another great fight not to mention drew dober versus brad Riddell. so there's a lot of ton a ton of fire firefights on this card that i can't wait to get into and i brought a solid cast of guys with me as i do every single week for you guys I'm trying to get through everybody at least once before I start repeating guests. So it's going to be a little while still before you guys see a, a, a repetitive guest. Uh, but I do want to give these guys some shine because they truly deserve it. So I'll bring these guys in one by one. I'm sure you guys have heard of most of them. If not, you guys will get familiar with them after this uh, stream. And I'll make sure that you guys follow them as well because I have all their Twitter handles in the description below. All right, first and foremost... We're going to bring in my guy, Scott Shelvock. I've had him on my show before. I believe it was the 100th episode. If you guys tuned in for that one, that was back at UFC 254. Scott, what's going on, my brother? Not much, man. How about you? Good, man. I was I was happy that you accepted the call because I wasn't 100% sure if you were still in the MMA game or not. But you are slowly doing your thing in the background, just creeping up over the counter and still doing all your stuff. So I'm happy to have you uh, to, to still be in the MMA world, brother. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Excited to just talk some fights. Hell yeah, brother. All right, next up, we'll bring in my guy, Scrap Capper, another fun uh, guy, another solid handicapper that I've been conversing with back and forth for the last couple years now. Uh, Scrap, what's going on, my brother? Not much, man. What about you? Good, man. I'm happy that you agreed to come on. And you actually saved the show because you were the last guy that I was able to found out. I had somebody fall out yesterday. So uh, shout out to you for doing your best Donald Cerrone impression, jumping in on short notice and, and trying to save the show. So uh, very much looking forward to breaking down the card with you as well. And then lastly, we got my man Gugabe. If you guys are familiar with the MMA betting scene, he's probably one of the top guys out there. I believe he does some work with Betfair down there in Australia as well. Gugabe, what's going on, my brother? Yeah, not much. Taking long. Good to be on here. And yeah, um, some solid um, Southern Hemisphere representation. We've got Jermaine from yeah. Concords and hey. <laughs> exactly. You got guys up here from Canada and then below us where are pretty much from down under. So uh, I'm glad that we got some good mix of uh, talent and uh, characters here uh, to help me break down this UFC 263 card. So uh, like I said at the top of the show, the links to their Twitter accounts are in the description below. So make sure you guys go give them a follow because they truly deserve it. They are definitely one of the sharp guys that one of the more sharper guys that we have in this industry. So I deserve I believe they deserve a solid platform like this one to showcase their skills. All right. Let's not waste too much time because we got four fights that we need to get through first and foremost we got my guy jake collier making his return going up against uh mr uh carlos philippe in terms of odds we're sticking at um minus one uh minus 160 right now for carlos philippe plus 150 for jake collier i'll kick things off here you guys know i like me some jake collier i felt like i was one of the few guys on an island on uh collier last time around as i felt like he still had a little bit more to give and we were given that uh 
that 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 narrative of if somebody gets knocked out in their last fight, they're probably going to get knocked out every single time out after that. But uh, I I truly don't believe in that type of narrative. I thought Jake still has a little bit to give to us, and he showed it in that Gian Vellante fight, albeit. It was fat Gian Vellante, you know, of a heavyweight Gian Vellante who probably wasn't putting in too much work back then. Uh, but now you're getting a guy that's between Tom Aspinall and Gian Vellante. You're getting Carlos Felipe, who, you know, seems like his mind is there, but he seems more of a bruiser, a guy that wants to go out there and try to take your head off. And I feel like that's going to cause him to overswing here against a guy in Carlos Felipe, or sorry, against a guy in Jake Collier who likes to mix it up and has a little bit more variety, right? It, he doesn't throw a ton on his shot, so I'm not expecting a knockout of any sort from Mr. Jake Collier here, but I do think that he'll mix it up well in terms of strikes to the head to the body and to the legs and i think it's kind of going to cause carlos Felipe a little bit of uh confusion so i'm very excited to see collier go out there and actually implement that type of game plan and i gave it out on the prop show last night i'm looking at jake collier by decision at plus 330 i think that's a solid spot here but even at plus money as an underdog i fully expect this fight to be closer to a pick em, or even with jake collier as a slight favorite but people continue to like fading that dad bod or i don't even know what you can call it at this point in time that's a, a far from a tad bod but jake collier still goes out there and has a solid performance last time around i expect him to go out there and replicate that same thing this time so i'm going with jake collier via decision scott i'll hand it on over to you am i too high on the prototype or do you think that carlos Felipe has the chops to go out there and uh do what a favorite should do yeah i, I think you're too high on him i mean we know the guy's a 185 or moves to 205 and now he's up at up a heavyweight and he is going straight to the max weight you can be for i mean it's hard to take the guy seriously when he's just like not professional at all i mean he's just like it just seems like he's here until the wheels fall off and i don't know but uh what makes it really frustrating is he's actually a good fighter he's got fast hands decent wrestling clinch game and he mixes it all together really well and he actually lands 4.92 significant strikes per minute with 123 in his last outing which is crazy when you don't when you look at him you wouldn't think he's capable of that kind of volume but uh, that being said, his last fight was against a natural 205-er. This will be his only second fight against a true heavyweight. And the last time he got flatlined inside a minute. Felipe, like you said, not as good as Aspinall. But uh, he does have a pretty underrated boxing game. Um, and he's got a ton of heart. And with the size, I just think that's enough. He also lands 4.42 significant strikes per minute. So he should be able to match Collier's volume. And then when you say, so yeah, when you add that, and then just the, that he's going to land the natural natural heavier shots, I think he just takes the win. I also think he gives Collier problems with his powerful straight cross to the body. So he lands that I'm pretty much will, I pretty much will on all the opponents. So yeah, picks Felipe. All right, one uh, Jake Collier hater in the in the video already. <laughs> Scrap capper, are you going to follow suit there? Or uh, do you also believe that I'm a little bit too high on Jake Collier in this situation? Uh, I don't think you're too far off. Um, for me, Collier was definitely decided that crazy opener where, wherever it was, like north of you know plus two hundred or whatever. Uh, at the current line, yeah, not not super tempting. Um, I agree with Scott that uh, Felipe probably has the cleaner boxing, but I do think if Collier is able to stay mobile across like the course of the three rounds, that his footwork and if he can just kind of implement more of like an outside kicking game that might give Felipe some issues. He, he's not very fleet of foot. He does kind of seem to get frustrated and struggle a bit when someone isn't just standing there to be hit in front of him. You know, he does that whole kind of posturing bit and gets frustrated. Um, also pretty terrible in the clinch. Like De Castro just pushed him up against the cage, so did Taffer and just lent on him. And he's, you know, looking to the referee, throwing his hands up, looking for a way out. Doesn't really seem to be able to navigate his way out of those positions on his own. Um, so yeah, uh, at the, I, th I think the current line's probably about right, to be honest. Uh, I do have a little bit of Collier decision, plus 350. Felipe KO, plus 300's not terrible, I think. Um, 
but yeah, I, I would probably prefer to be on that Collier decision side. I just think, yeah, if he can blend, blend the clinch game and the striking and maybe well, if he could get a takedown, that'd be massive because I'm, I'm not sure Felipe has much of a get-up game like we saw against Spivak. I'm, I'm not sure Collier's going to be able to get that. But yeah, if he can just mix everything up, uh, stay mobile, lateral movement, and just you know kind of try and make Felipe chase him around the cage, I think he's got a pretty good shot at making this a close fight. Yeah, I really hope we see Collier actually mix it up, not just take a striking approach like he did against John Volante. If he is able to mix up some clinch work and some takedowns, it should definitely be a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more convincing towards the judges. Uh, Gugabi, the 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 opener on this for Collier was plus two forty five, and it got quickly seamed down to about plus one sixty, plus one fifty ish. Where did you first of all? Do you agree with the opener? And two, how do you actually see this fight going down? Uh, I picked up a bunch of plus 200-ish just because it was moving and like I'm not massively invested here in terms of my own opinion but like I feel like it's kind of hilarious people acting like Carlos Felipe is in so much better shape than Jake Collier. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, neither of them are exactly physical specimens. But honestly, I think this should just be close. Like Collier is a bit more diverse. Felipe, I think I trust his power in general a bit more. Collier may be grappling outside but I don't think he rely on seeing it. But um, yeah, I was reasonably hard on Felipe after seeing the um, Castro fight because again, heavyweight, it's just like, yeah, being able to actually throw 150 strikes in 15 minutes is like actually a fucking viable win condition, particularly if you're tough. But then like a tougher fight, you probably should have lost that. So I don't know, I, I, at the moment I would bet Collier plus 150 if I had to, but, and the go to distance wasn't bad back at minus 110, but now it's kind of gone. And like, do you want to play go over distance to the heavyweight fight where they're going to land hundreds of strikes? Like, none of them seem particularly powerful, but, you know, it's heavyweight. Some of the drops every so often. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of agnostic at this line. I think Collier could be a little bit tighter, but, yeah, Collier decision's not bad. I think it's like plus 350-ish. Yeah, plus 350. But Safe to say you're on the Collier side here, yeah? Oh, uh, yeah, well, for the current line, I guess. Perfect, perfect. All right, let's keep things moving along because, like I said, we got a 14-fight card to get through, so we're going to be sludging through this. And this is the fight that I'm probably most uh, questionable about and probably least confident about. We got Faraz ZM going up against Luigi Vendramini. We got minus 120 on ZM and plus 110 on Vendramini. A very close fight uh, pretty much at all bookies. There's a couple of spots that actually have it as a pick and then it, there's even a spot that has him, uh, ZM all the way up to minus 140. Uh, Scott, I'll actually let you kick off the breakdown for this fight. How are you feeling about this one? And do you think the underdog, Luigi, Luigi, the slight underdog Luigi Vendramini, is able to pull it off. Yeah, so I'm picking Luigi here, but this is like a really tough fight to get a read on. Uh, Luigi, you know, he gives me some red flags in the fact that he's only fought twice in the last three years, and he has only been to the third round once. And I believe that fight ended in like 30 seconds in the third round, so it's a bit worrisome. Um, he he showed some powerful hands though in his last outing. Um, his debut, he looked really good for the first round or so, or most of the first round against Zaleski, which was a short notice fight at 170 pounds. Uh, and he showed decent wrestling and grappling in that fight. Uh, Zium also seems half decent. His striking seems good. If he gets his kicking game going, I can see it giving some guys some issues. However, he was taken down eight times in his first two UFC fights, and he should be 0-2 in my opinion. So it's just it's hard to pick him against someone that just seems a little bit more well-rounded. But there's no real confidence in that pick. Sorry, you're on the Vendramini side, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Vendramini. Vendramini. All right, uh, Scrap, how are you feeling about this one? I'm seeing a lot of people out there even pounding my DMs saying that Vendramini plus 500 via submission is, should be the prop of the night. How are you feeling about that approach for this fight? And ultimately, how do you see this fight going? Yeah, I agree with both you guys. Um, I'm on Vendramini, like uh, across like money line, sub or decision, and also the sub um, down our ways. I think he can get sub at plus 900, which is pretty wild. 
for a guy who's going out, uh, shown he'll go out there and you know really force grappling and is shown to be a pretty proficient back taker and finisher. Um, so yeah, I just I, I like Vendramini as the dog. I think I, you can trust him to go out there and force his game plan. Whereas ZM's not really a guy who's like physically overwhelming enough that he's going to be able to like deter him from trying to force that grappling. You know, he's a bit he's got he's got a nice jab and outside kicking game, but like like Scott said, we've seen him be taken down multiple times so far so yeah i, I would back vendramini as the dog uh, yeah cardio questions and things like that but you know you're not gonna tick every box when you're playing an underdog but i think he's the side for me uh, Gugabe, I know a lot of people took uh, Justin Ayari last time around against Vendramini strictly off of the, the long layoff that we saw Vendramini have to go through to get back to the cage. Uh, and Vendramini shut everybody up by, by getting that quick finish the way that he did. Do you think he replicates uh, the same performance this time around against Farasiim? Because he's clearly going to have the strength advantage and probably the grappling advantage too. But do you think he utilizes it successfully here against Farasiim? I think I personally care more about what he did in the Zaleski fight, where he immediately wrestled against a better striker. I think if he does that here, ZM's grappling game is ugly and unfunctional. Like I felt with Malarkey, it was more because Malarkey got a bit greedy, trying to go for the transitions, going from out, got shot, got shucked off, and that wasn't really a product of ZM showing much off his back. So yeah, as a consequence, I think Benjamin is the spot, but if you get in live bet, exiting after a round is probably a good idea because you don't know what Benjamin's tank is like. He's only ever been to like minute eight, like twice, I think. So like maybe he just falls off a cliff. I got a lot of the under at plus money, like the under two and a half. I've got some Benjamin at plus money, early sub. I don't know, decent diversity and like, yeah, I've got a bunch of Z I've got some ZM in case um, he gets a light finish. Like, yeah, you never know if Benjamin just turns out to have six minutes of cardio and just dies. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure, you can't really bank on somebody having cardio if you haven't truly seen it. So I definitely like that uh, angle. And you guys know me. You guys know I like that third round prop. So ZM and, uh, in round three currently sits at plus 1,300 and probably deserves a little bit of a sprinkle. But Gugabe hit it on the head. This is a great live betting opportunity as well. If he's able to get it out of that first round and you see Luigi starting to slow down a little bit, you're probably going to get a really good line on ZM because that would probably mean that Benjamin was successful with his grappling approach in the first round. But if he wasn't successful in terms of getting the finish, he's probably going to be huffing and puffing. And, and ZM should probably go out there and you know outstrike him on the feet. Just go out there and and stick and move and and just strike from distance. My issue is I feel like he's still a little bit green. I feel like he still needs some work. Uh, I, I think they threw him into the UFC a little bit too early. I feel like he still needs to fill out in his body. It doesn't seem like he's that strong of a fighter, which is you know not good, especially when you just look at Luigi Vendramini alone. You're just like, oh, this guy's probably going to toss him around. So if ZM can get out of that first round, I think it gets a little bit safer for him. And ultimately, I'm going to pick the ZM side to win this fight via decision. I might sprinkle that round three prop, like I said, at plus 1,300. But uh, again, very little, little confidence on this fight. It seems like I'm on a bit of an island with ZM here. But again, I'm not running to the betting window to actually put some money on a guy for our ZM in this spot. Yeah, um, definitely try and grab the live bet. If you can get, get on after round one, you've probably answered most of the questions and good chance to get a better price. If Benjamin, you just backpack them for a minute, five minutes, and then it's like you're getting plus 200, plus 300 ZM, and that's like, you know, better spot. Perfect, perfect. All right, let's move along here. We got Steven Peterson going up against Chase Hooper. Uh, Chase Hooper trying to uh, build on his win over uh, uh, Peter Barrett last time around. We got minus 110 on Peterson and plus 100 on Chase Hooper's scrap. I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about the young prodigy and uh, Chase Hooper trying to get a win over the wily veteran Steven Peterson tomorrow night? Uh, yeah, not good. Hooper's just not a UFC fighter, plain and simple. I mean, the guy is 
like a regional level jujitsu guy at best. I mean, I think I've bet against him in just about all of his UFC fights and yeah, not stopping here. I'm on Peterson. Um, yeah, the guy just has no way to win minutes unless he's finding the back take or getting the sub, you know, to be convincingly losing to a guy like Pete Barrett before, you know, pulling out a Hail Mary outside heel hook. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see how he gets it done outside that sub. So I, I don't understand why to pick him and why Hooper's not, you know, like plus 200 if his path to victory is pulling a sub out of his ass, basically. Yeah, I think a lot of people are leaving money on the table if they're just taking Chase Hooper straight up here. I think he could go out there and pull off the sub if he needs to. But Steven Pearson, you know, nine losses in his, uh, what is it, 27-fight career has never been submitted. So this might be a tough task for Chase Hooper. Gugabe, how are you feeling about this one? And I'm pretty certain that you're going to say that uh, Mr. Chase Hooper got lucky last time around that he's going up against Pete Barrett and not somebody that actually has some legitimate skill, which I think that we'll see here with Steven Pearson. But how are you feeling about this fight? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Hooper, I mean, Chaya and what Barrett is like, you know, Yusuf Zal looked like Damian Meyer against him. He's not a fucking good grappler. <laughs> it's actually possible that Peterson's the better grappler here. Like, I, it's not like Chase Hooper is Crone Gracie. You know, he's not, he hasn't won ADCC titles. He's not like a proven, really known grappling ability guy. Like, yeah, it's a specialty, but like, he could just be pretty good at a specialty. There's no proof that he's like, some insane grappling savant. So I'm like, it's actually quite possible, quite possible that Peterson is either competitive on the ground or just better. Like Peterson almost got a decent tap on Pena. Like so I'd take Pena in a grappling match over Hooper pretty comfortably because Pena is actually Matt is just massive and actually like an adult. So yeah, and also it's like Peterson hasn't fought in two years. He's 30 years old. People acting like we've seen the finished product of Peterson, but it's like he's 30. It's not like he's 45. You know, Fortis is a decent gym. It's got less of a glow up than it used to because, like, back in the day, you know, people always like, oh, that Ryan Span is a technical genius. But now, um, yeah, like, yeah, he's, he's, had a decent, he's had a good gym. Like, yeah, how much? I don't think Hooper can really get that much better. Peterson sucks in standing. And I really don't think the grappling is an automatic win for um, Hooper. Yeah, I like me some Peterson in this spot too. And just like Scrap, I'm kind of surprised that the line is as close as it is. I think there is some value on Peterson in this spot, especially to go out there and outstrike with Hooper. And Gugabe just dropping some fire for you guys, thinking that uh, Peterson is probably the better grappler in this situation, which might surprise some people. But I'm not I'm not uh, surprised by that. I do agree with him there. I don't think he's... Uh, that much better than him but i think it's good enough that he can remain competitive with chase super and again chase super seems like a one-trick type of pony his durability is there so good for him in that situation which is why he was able to pull over the pull out the victory over peter barrett last time around but i still do lean with uh with peterson here i will give hooper the benefit of the doubt in terms of being durable which is why i'll ultimately take peterson to win this fight by decision but uh man again i, I think this fight is a, a little bit of a steal in terms of the line that you're getting on peterson and like i said he's a wily veteran the guy has 20 27 fights he's been fighting all over the place in the regional scene and he has some solid experience inside the ufc too but uh that that two-year layoff or, or so that he's coming off of i don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on him here especially against uh you know not so dangerous opponent in chase hooper so i like me some uh, Steven peterson i'll be taking him to win by decision but even that straight line around minus 120 even money is just absolute money in my uh opinion scott uh, are we not doing enough uh credence or giving enough legitimacy to chase hooper or are you on uh the steven peterson train as well yeah i'm going the other way i'm picking hooper actually um i think peterson like he's just like a bottom level gatekeeper there's nothing that special about him he's got decent grappling he decent wrestling okay striking he comes four seven may so good gym but i mean 
he's he's overly reckless when he fights um as far as like positionally and everything and he just hasn't really put his skill set together uh, and obviously a chase super like you can't really sugarcoat what we've seen he got you know his jiu-jitsu like agrube said is good but it's probably not excellent it's not it's not elite um and his striking is atrocious but when you look at that peter barrett fight i mean he got beat up and he never stopped he never stopped coming forward never stopped throwing he actually outlanded peter barrett on both significant strikes and total strikes and when the third round came and he needed to finish he wasn't out there trying to hit body lock takedowns and get top control he and i rolled and gave up top position for the for the heel hook like that that's what you want when you're betting on a, when you're betting on a guy that's smart fight iq now he's and and if you look at the improvement he's made since the contender series and now it's a pretty significant improvement now he's still only 21 years old you have to think he just took six months off he has probably more opportunities than he's ever had in his in his whole entire career for training he's got more money so he's probably training harder momentum's on his side and i think he's just really good at at capitalizing on bad on when guys can put themselves in bad spots and that's what peterson does so i'm gonna take pick cooper to capitalize also peterson's like two years off and just missed weight so that's it's not really great uh, I'm glad that you added that last little caveat there because I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't uh, actually say that Peterson did miss weight. He was the only one to miss weight here by three pounds, or I'd say two and a half pounds if you give him the extra pound uh, uh, leeway. But yeah, not a good look. It didn't seem like he was completely sucked out or drained or anything like that. Like we've definitely seen much worse scenarios in the past couple of uh, you know weigh-ins uh, where we've seen people just struggling to get, even make it to those scales. But Stephen Peterson, it seemed like he made a conscious decision to not bother cutting that extra two and a half pounds, and it might help him out here especially with having to deal with the potential grappling onslaught that he's gonna have to deal with here with chase super but uh yeah uh i do like me some peterson here as i believe gugabe and scrapped is as well uh but yeah let's see how it pans out and see if chase super can truly go out there and start to improve and you know, showcase that he deserves to be in the UFC. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Speaking of guys that deserve to be in the UFC, Terrence McKenney makes a short notice appearance here. He just fought last week, last Friday on LFA headlining, and he actually went out there and got a quick uh, finish. I believe it was just a minute and 13 seconds it took for him to go out there and win by KO. And now he draws Matt Frivola. Matt Frivola, probably one of the most cursed guys in this COVID-19 situation, uh, you know, having so many different circumstances, most recently being the Otman Azatar thing. You go from fighting Otman Azatar, one round KO guy, to Armand Sarukian, poor uh, Matt Frivola there, having to take that uh, short notice uh, matchup. Gugabe, I'll actually let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about this fight between Matt Frivola and the short notice uh, Terrence McKinney? You are muted if you're trying to talk. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, McKinney should come, come out crazy, throw rabies, we'll gas after a round. But yeah, I'd, I'd personally wait for Favola to like better because McKinney could just um, kind of meme him. You have to know that kind of Hernandez, Darius, stupid result kind of thing. It's very possible because it's Favola. He starts quick, but he seems fragile early on. Like Ray, Ray's knocked him out pretty fucking hard. Um, yeah, McKinney plus 200 into the light bed after rounds, probably the best spot here. And like, yeah, McKinney could just kill him. You never know. But yeah, I, I'm really skeptical he's going to win for a 15 minute decision against Favola. This fight, I think it's going to be fireworks, to be honest. I don't think we've seen uh, Mr. McKinney go to uh, a decision at all in his career. He's only been to a, a third round once in his career. Uh, he's either getting the finish or getting finished. Most notably, people will know him for getting flying knee knocked out by Sean Woodson on the 2019 Contender Series season. And uh, that was probably the last we've seen him up until this point. He did lose to Derek Minner on the regional scene right after that, but has put together two solid victories to notch his uh, spot in the UFC. So you got to believe the UFC has had their eye on him for a minute and just been 
waiting for the right opportunity to bring it in, bring him in because it is, he's an exciting fighter. He does have a bit of a college wrestling background, but I don't think it's anything significant that we really need to worry about here. Favola has a decent wrestling background of his own, but I think both these guys are going to chuck leather at each other. And I do believe that the line is a little bit too wide. I ultimately still will be going with Favola to win this, but probably by knockout. But the spots I, I like are the, the fight is going to decision. I know it's a little bit chalky at minus 225, but I do think that these guys are going to be throwing haymakers pretty much for the entirety of this fight. If you have access to the under two and a half at minus 165, that, that's even a better spot. Obviously not as chalky as the fight doesn't go to decision. And if you're feeling a little risky, a little ballsy, that under one and a half at plus 110, not too bad considering the type of performances th these guys are capable of, especially considering that they're pretty much must see TV at all times because they go out there, get the finish or get the fit or get finished or get the finish themselves. Scott, how are you feeling about this matchup? Uh, and uh, do you think that short Norris McKinney has the opportunity to go out there and spring the upset? Like Kamala Kirk just did this past weekend against Mark one Americani. Yeah, no, I, I like Ravola here. I mean, McKinney is just too boom robust. It's very possibly just comes out and wins in the first round. It's a very real win condition, uh, especially considering Ravola is potentially chinny stuff. But um, yeah, Frivola is just very gritty, and I just expect as the rounds go on, McKinney to get slower and slower, and his whole game just sort of fall apart. And from there, Frivola will likely finish. Yeah, at least this fight should bring the entertainment aspect of it, right? Like, I, I personally, I, I don't give a fuck about it. Like, it's probably the second fight that I don't give a fuck about the most on this card outside of the uh, Vendramini and Ferasiem fight. But at least it should deliver in terms of entertainment here. Scrap, how are you feeling about this particular matchup? Yeah, don't have too much to add. I think you guys pretty much hit it on the head. It's going to be a car crash and most likely McKinney early or Frivola late. Um, yeah, look to live bit. Frivola, if he uh, makes it out of the first round and obviously probably a solid chance McKinney starts to fall apart, especially if Frivola gets his grappling going. Um, yeah, and that under, not a bad spot as well. All right, all right. Let's keep things moving along. We got Panny Kianzad going up against Alexis Davis. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 195 for Panny and plus 180 for Alexis Davis. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'll kick this breakdown off for you guys. It's pretty much a similar fight for both women in terms to what their last fight was, right? With Alexis Davis, she went out there and outgrinded Sabina Mazzo, uh, you know, predominantly a striker, likes to kick a lot. And uh, Alexis David Davis did a really good job in terms of staying in her face, eventually dragging the fight to the ground and grinding her out there. And then for Patty Kianza, dealing with Sajara Eubanks, who, you know, had a grapple-heavy approach in that fight, was very successful with it in the first round. And then in the second and third rounds, we saw Patty Kianza work behind that jab and her striking and was able to keep the fight vertical and able to get the judges' scorecards for at least rounds two and three. I feel like we'll see a similar fight here from the Panikianzad side. I think that there might be a round that she ends up giving up just from a takedown and just not able to get back up from the much bigger Alexis Davis. And let's not forget, Davis, you know, used to fight at 135 pounds. Sajar Eubanks used to fight at the, you know, at the lower weight class as well, 125 pounds. And uh, you're definitely getting a bigger Alexis Davis here. But the issue with Davis is she's just a little bit too slow. And I think that Kianzad will be able to, to uh, capitalize on that. With Sabina Mazur, you're getting somebody that was a kick-heavy fighter. With Penny Kianzad, I feel like you're getting more of a, you know, she is a kickboxer and she is an all-around striker, don't get me wrong. But I feel like the most of, or the best of her uh, abilities come from her hands. And I feel like that should keep her safe in terms of not getting taken down, work behind that jab, stay on the outside, and be sure that she's just, you know, not overextending on punches and giving up takedowns here. But I think that this looks like Kianzad going out there and uh, grinding this or grinding this fight out from an outpointing uh, standpoint. Uh, so Kianzad by decision, the spot that I'm looking at is uh, plus, or minus 135. You always want to get at least some plus money uh, if you're thinking that you're going to get uh, a solid value, especially on Kianzad. 
but yeah, I, I'm liking Kianzad, but her straight line at minus 195, I'm not too trustworthy of that, right? Like you can keep, Alexis Davis could easily pull off two takedowns in this fight and win it just off of takedowns alone, right? And shout out to Gagabe getting his beautiful mug on the on the stream for us here. I, I feel like he felt the heat from the chat there to finally get on. So shout out to my guy Gagabe for doing that. Uh, Scott, how are you feeling about uh, Alexis Davis and Penny Kianzad in this spot? Yeah, it's a tough fight to call. Uh, Kianza showed obvious grappling holes in her game. You know, Eubanks dominated for about six minutes, and Kohei even had glimpses of success in grappling her as well. Uh, offensively, Kianza is pretty horrific at grappling as well. Um, but she's 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 shown pretty good striking. It's not a leap, but I mean, she lands at 5.14 significant strikes per minute. She landed over 90 significant strikes in both of her and all three of her last fights, which is impressive volume. And the hands are pretty sharp, and she's also pretty big for the division. So like, it seems like they're landing with a lot of power. Uh, Davis has clear win condition with uh, jiu-jitsu black belt, decent wrestling. Um, however, she just like you said, she's slow. She hasn't really shown the ability to just be able to, to get inside on good strikers and hit takedowns. Um, on the feet, I think Davis is the more versatile striker, but she just lands at so like the volume difference is going to be significant. So I don't think that's going to really matter. So Kianza is my pick. All right, all right, Scrap. How are you feeling about this one? You going with the dog to grind this one out, or do you think that Patty keeps this fight vertical and uh, outboxes Alexis Davis over fifteen minutes? Um, yeah, I think Penny's the rightful favorite, but it's a bit wide, like minus two hundred ish in women's MMA for someone who's shown that she can be taken down and held down. Um, yeah, it doesn't really interest me at all. So I'm on Davis, uh, mix of like money line and decision. Um, I do expect Penny to kind of box her up a bit on the feet, but Davis is tough. She'll keep pushing forward. Uh, she knows, you know, her path a uh, bit concerning. She hasn't really shown uh, much kind of takedown ability apart from catching kicks and, like, body locks. Doesn't have much of, like, a double double leg or single leg game. So, yeah, it's more of, like, a bet out of principle. Anytime there's, like, a women's MMA dog, like, plus 150 or better with grappling upside, it's kind of like an automatic bet for me. So maybe this one loses but you know like long term i think it's just a good angle yeah Gugabe, i'm definitely going to be kicking myself if i'm not betting alexis davis in this spot and she goes out there and springs the victory like she did against sabina mazzo that's the spot that i was on last time i'm passing on it this time but i could definitely see the upside for her being the dog in the spot do you think she has the chops to go out there and squeak this decision out grinding it out or even possibly finding a decision here against panic or a submission um. i should say I think it's definitely a possibility. Personally, I just feel like Davis is too reliant on kick catches to really, like, yeah, if Kianzad just minds her P's and Q's, she should be fine. And, like, I think Kianzad is smarter than Sabina Marto because, like, Sabina Marto just fucking spams everything she can possibly can at all times. So, yeah, and, like, yeah, Sabina Marto just, yeah, she should have lost the decision. She should, she was on her way to lose the decision against uh, Yoda in the fight before that, yeah. pretty clearly. Or so, Justine like, Kish, actually. Oh, Kish, sorry. I always get those yeah. two confused for some reason. Same yeah. person. Um, yeah, so consequentially, it's just kind of like, I can see the angles on Davis. She could get top control, but I just don't really see how consistent, how she consistently gets there. But like, it's quite very possible. You just see her throwing a bunch of kicks and getting caught, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I guess I, I just don't really have any strong opinions here. All right, all right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got probably the fight that I'm looking forward to the most. This is an MMA nerds dream matchup, I think, at least for two rising prospects. We got Hakeem Dewadu going up against Movzar Evloev. We got minus 220-ish on Evloev and plus 200-ish on Hakeem Dewadu. I'll actually let uh, Mr. Scott Shelvock take us home with or start this one off for us. How, how do you feel about this matchup? 
Um, I mean, I hate going against Canadian, but I'm picking Evelov here. I mean, I think he has a very clear path to victory with his takedowns. He lands 2.75 takedowns per 15 minutes while fighting like excellent grapplers like Barzola, Grundy, and Lentz, where Duato on the other hand has been taken down four times in the last fights in the last five fights versus a much lower level of competition. Um, Duato obviously should have the advantage on the feet. Uh, he's the better striker. However, I do worry that like when he fights grapplers, his volume seems to drop. Like the last fight, he only landed 69 strikes. And Evlov lands 4.7 strikes per minute. So if the takedown threat drops Duwadu's volume, then it seems like a real possibility to me that Evlov can actually just win a striking co contest here. And for that, he has to be a pretty massive favorite. Yeah, when when this matchup was announced, I was split down the middle. I love the prospect that moves are Evlov is. He's probably my favorite prospect in the UFC. But Hakeem Duwadu is probably our best chance at somebody to crack the top 10 as a Canadian. Uh, but I think he's going to end up taking an L here, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Scrap, how are you feeling about this matchup? Do you think there's any value on the uh, Muay Thai kickboxer uh, Hakeem Duwadu, or do you like the Russian moves are Evlov? I think there's a little bit of value on Duaru, but I'm, I'm probably not going to be interested in betting it before the fight just because historically he's such a slow starter and I think there's a pretty good chance you get a better line after the first round. Um, yeah, like Scott made a good point. Uh, if Evloev can kind of start mixing in his takedowns, then historically that's kind of been a good way to make Duaru kind of go into his shell and the output dries up. But that being said, Evloev, I don't think actually has the best top control. He gets he, like his his wrestling solid. He gets to his takedowns, but he's a little he's quite small for 145. And Duaru's shown like a pretty good get up game. So so I don't actually think he's going to be able to hold Duaru down for like extended periods throughout this fight. So I got a little bit of a Duaru decision, which is like plus 450, just small. But I'll probably be looking to live bet him if he doesn't look like he's still asleep after round one. I like it. I like it. Gugabe, uh, it's not often that you see a fighter come into the UFC and go up a weight class, but Ivlov has truly been, you know, very comfortable at 145 pounds, obviously going undefeated in the UFC now. But this has got to be his stiffest competition to date in the UFC with Hakeem Duwadu. How do you see this fight going down? Um, I feel like it will be close, but Ivlov will win it. And there'll just be all these ones that was just like, all right, Duwadu was probably valued, but Ivlov just consistently grinds out a 29-28. Like, yeah, sometimes you get these fights where it's just like 95% chance of being a close win. Which is just like, yeah, from a betting point of view, for annoying because it's just like, <laughs> what can you do? Um, yeah, it's grappling edge. Duwadu's slow starting is always a concern to me. Like, I mean, I, in the past, I've always felt he's a guy who lie better after round because, like, he just takes his time sorting himself out. But even though starts very slow as well. Like, again, he had issues with Grundy in the first round, that kind of stuff. <sighs> Evelove's good. I just, I, I feel like Duwadu should eventually get um, picked up by, you know, his grappling hole should fuck him eventually. But I, I'm personally... I can't see much point. I can't see much of interest in betting this one. Like I feel like Dwight is good enough for this speciality, and Evlov can be a bit lower um, enthusiasm and initiative, so I could get fucked on that front. But should be fine, I guess. Yeah, this should definitely be a fun fight. We've definitely seen an improvement in the striking game of Evlov since coming into the UFC. Obviously, in the and the Russian promotions that he was fighting for, he did heavily rely on his grappling and some striking, of course. Uh, working over there at Tiger Muay Thai at times, there are crazy sparring videos of him and Piotr Jan on YouTube that you guys can go and check out. So you can definitely know, see that he's making the improvements there. But it's definitely going to be heavily reliant on him getting takedowns here. Uh, be, you know, being the guy that shoots the output here, especially because Hakim Duwadu, I feel, is definitely very low output. Uh, he 
he seems like he's a little bit calculated in his approach, looking for his openings and looking for his openings to go out there and throw his combinations and stuff. But I do think that Evil Web ultimately will kind of see those ones come in, change levels, get the takedowns, and start grinding this fight out. You got to be stupid to not want to get your wrestling going in this situation, especially when you have the wrestling prowess that Evil Web does have. I will say, I'm not the most impressed with Evil Web's ability to keep his opponents down, but his cardio is good enough that he'll be able to continuously take his opponents down and give them trouble up against the cage if that's where the fight ends up uh, taking place. But I do like Evil Web as well. I do think it'll play up much closer than the odds indicate, uh, just as Gugabe said, but it feels like one of those spots that it's probably going to be Evil Web by decision. Both guys, you know, not much not, not much likelihood for a finish, so I'd rather be going with Evil Web by decision, which I think is currently around uh, even money. I think that's a solid spot. I think they're getting some de decent value right there. All right, let's move on to the next spot here. We got Lauren Murphy going up against Joanne Caldwood. Uh, in terms of odds, the odds are starting to widen a little bit in Joanne Caldwood's favor. She's roughly around minus 150. We got plus 120 on Lauren Murphy. And uh, Scrap, I'll actually let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about this flyweight women's matchup? Yeah, I like Murphy here. Um, I think she's just got that style that can give jojo problems like she, she'll consistently come forward she'll she'll try push jojo on the back foot which you know has historically made her like kicking game a lot more ineffective jojo like her, her numbers look good her stats but like it's it's a lot of like leg, leg kicks and teeps and stuff that don't actually impress the judges so it looks a lot different to the eye than it does on the stat sheet um yeah i just think murphy's going to be able to make this like a classic lauren murphy fight just ugly as fuck just come forward throwing one twos looking for the clinch uh, i think she's probably a bit stronger maybe have a bit of like a physical edge and just be able to grind jojo in the clinch um i think it'll play out like pretty close so i think there's, there's a little bit of value on murphy here uh i'm pretty biased towards murphy though i i just i like her game for women's mma she just will consistently make it ugly and she's effective at that so yeah she, she's the side for me all right, all right. Gabi, how are you feeling about this match? I'm seeing different takes on either side here. How are you feeling about this one? I'm just going to say, I'm actually wearing Lauren Murphy um, match. I'm probably the only person in the world who ever purchased <laughs> no Lauren Murphy match. No way. <laughs> My biggest win ever at the time was Lauren Murphy submission last fight. I think I made like 25K on that. So I was wow. like, I might as well pay 50 bucks for a t-shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Record supporting sure. Lauren Murphy's <laughs> yeah, it's got the uh, signature. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Some random cancer collaboration or something. So yeah, um, yeah, Laura Murphy. I, I I love her. She's a great she's a great fighter. But personally, um, weird fight because like if Crowderwood's standing, she should just be out voluming her, and Murphy will be struggling because she'll just get outworked. But um, Crowderwood's bottom game is a concern. Like she'll probably get stuck if she gets taken down. I actually like Murphy plus one hundred. Like early in the week, I took some, and now I look like an idiot. So. <laughs> I've just kind of gone there, right? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just take my half, leave my half unit on Murphy plus 100 and hope she gets some takedowns. It, it, it's just a weird fight because I feel like both could dominate because you could see Calderwood just getting the stand up for ages and winning cleanly. And also, like, if Murphy just gets two takedowns, that could be the fight easily. And yeah, I'm hoping for another Murphy sub because you got a GM Murphy sub. Like, plus 2,000 in that spot against Shaka Rover was insane. Like, Absolutely insane. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, no, uh, this one was one I've been kind of going back and forth all week. Uh, 
pre-tape, I was leaning on Lauren Murphy as well. I thought that her physicality and some of the improvements that she's been making since she moved out to Houston and started training with the striking coach of Der uh, Derek Lewis, I believe his name is Bob Perez. Uh, solid coach. Obviously, we've definitely been seeing improvements from her. Uh, but that, that Andrea Lee fight, I think that's what it's going to play out similar to. If you guys remember that Andrea Lee fight, I thought Lee kind of got robbed in that fight. But I'm a little bit biased as I did have her in a parlay at that spot. But I thought that was a great fight for her to go out there and outstrike Lauren Murphy, which is exactly what she did. She was quicker to the punch. She had better combinations. She had great movement. It just came down to the last, what, minute, 45 seconds where Lauren Murphy was able to secure a takedown and then pretty much get the judges to score those rounds for her. That's what I think it pretty much came down to. Then after that, Lauren Murphy gets two very favorable fights. Like, let's just say Roxanne Montefiore. Uh, I was kind of surprised that the odds were as close as they were in that fight. And then obviously the short Norris, Lilia Shakarova, which made our guy Gugabe super rich. Uh, good good fight for her. Again, super short Norris as well uh, of an opponent that she's going up against. But we, with Joanne Caldwood here, I don't know what it is about the public, but she always seems to get this love that she's made out to be this fighter that she... I don't think she's as good as the public perceives her to be, but I do think that she has the advantages in this fight to at least go out there and replicate what Andrea Lee was able to do in the first four or so minutes and most of their, and uh, at least two of their three rounds when they fought. Uh, and I think that she'll land the better strikes. So she'll be she'll be quicker to the punch. She'll land the better combinations. She'll be more active on the feet. And I think we'll see Lauren Murphy actually swing at air a lot in this fight, uh, which should make Lauren Murphy look even better. Not to mention, Lauren Murphy does not wear damage that well. I think that judges will definitely have a little bit of an influence just off of seeing that as well. Oh, and hopefully Joanne Calderwood is ready for that takedown. That's probably coming in the last minute of the round. Uh, and if she's able to stuff those, she should be able to win some rounds here. But I'm not saying this with much um, uh, much confidence or much uh, vigor, as I do believe that Calderwood could potentially um, you know, get taken down. She could get out-muscled up against the cage. I do believe that Laura Murphy will be the stronger fighter in this situation, and that could cause some uh, problems for Joanne Calderwood, who seemed to struggle ever so slightly against Jessica A, Jessica I in those cage clinch positions as well. But I ultimately will pick Calderwood to win this fight by decision just outworking landing the better shots and then uh obviously landing more damage in the striking realm scott bring us home with this breakdown how are you feeling about uh, joanne calderwood and warren murphy yeah i got calderwood here uh she's just gonna like the volume's gonna, gonna be such a significant factor i mean she lands 85 or more strikes in seven so in seven of her eight fights that have gone past the first round she's landed 85 or more 100 100 strikes or more in five of those and she topped out at 148 versus jessica I. Um, and we look at Lauren Murphy, she's never surpassed 100 significant strikes, and she only lands 3.8 significant strikes per minute. So the volume is going to be so big. Um, obviously, the takedown is a big thing here, but um, JoJo's been improving her wrestling. You know, uh, Surprisingly enough, she landed eight takedowns in her last five fights, which is pretty shocking. Um, and Murphy only lands about like 1.18 takedowns per 15 minutes. And she in her last five, she only controlled about 1.25 minutes per takedown. So it's not like obviously JoJo spends a lot of time on her back but i don't think she's gonna like, I, I just don't see lauren murphy like chain wrestling her and getting like yeah i just don't see a lot of top control here so um i mean the strength could be a big deal in the clinch but i, I really think calder is gonna run with this pretty easily all right, it seems like the panel is split here, but it is a close fight, so you can't blame the fellas. All right, let's move on to the next fight. This is the first of three rematches that we have on the card. We got Eric Anders going up against Darren Stewart. If you guys remember the last time they fought, it was a couple months ago. Eric Anders throws everything in the kitchen sink at Darren Stewart, and unfortunately, an illegal knee after that as well. And uh, that fight gets changed to a no contest, or, or gets graded as a no contest, and now they're running it back once again. Gugabe, I'll let you kick this one off. Do you think that fight shows us all we need to know, right? We had Eric Anders comes in at plus 155 in the first fight now he's a minus 155 favorite how are you feeling about this matchup the second time around my main thing about the first fight is i do not understand how it wasn't disqualification like what was the logic for making it no contest like 
it, he was down clearly. There was just had like twenty seconds to decide, to decide what he was doing. Like seriously, like he came off the yarn fight the week before where it was no contest, and then like that one was in disqualification. I think that was a lot more intense. Like yarn at least Sterling was getting up. It was kind of this like spot and transition. Well, like Anders has just been pounding the fuck out of him, and then lands this stupid knee and it's like it should have been disqualification because i was annoyed because i had the idd last time like plus 200 which is flipped back to like minus money now which is yeah. it makes sense because like i feel like the old the last time they were just like these guys don't finish for any people but there's also it's two beefed up middleweights we're just going to fucking smack into each other in the middle of the cage stewart's a big enough hitter i wouldn't go i don't think you should be playing and as much past like mars 150 like and as History of being an idiot should probably be a more durable guy, but again, like if either of these guys just clip the other one, that's it. That would not shock me. Um, but yeah, I'll probably be looking for a live button steward after round here. I feel like Anders is a bit better starter, and I've got some NKO. NKO is still plus 130. I'm happy with that. Like, I'm hoping that after since it's a rematch, they might come out a bit harder because you know, maybe they have a silver and they don't go psychologically. And like, yeah, if Anders is just going to get in Stewart's face, either he's going to get hit very, very hard by Stewart or he's going to hurt Stewart. Yeah, I'm happy to take NKO plus 130 for that. Interesting. I'm, I'm seeing a different approach here. I think this fight actually might get dragged on a little bit more. Uh, another caveat about this fight compared to the last one. Last one was at 185 pounds. They're doing this at 205. Uh, I believe, you know, just to the short notice of it, considering that they're just making it a rematch. Uh, but, you know, what kind of improvements can we truly say that we saw um, Mr. Uh, Eric Anders make now that he's at fight ready, right? It seemed like he took uh, that, that grapple, that clinch approach a little bit when he got uh, dinged by a nice shot by Darren Stewart earlier in the fight. Uh, but, you know, after that, he goes out there, clinches him up against the cage, slows the pace down, unloads some combinations whenever they were breaking and, uh, you know, landed a perfect combination to hurt Darren Stewart and then follow up with some punches again, like I said, through everything uh and the kitchen sink at adam and unfortunately as well as an illegal knee but uh, i feel like this might be one of those situations where we see anders just try to be the bigger more muscular guy right he's obviously the guy that's fought at 205 pounds before he's going to be the bigger guy in this fight and i think he feels like he can go out there and just be uh you know the 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 the, the stronger guy just push him up against the cage and, and control darren stewart darren stewart even slows down himself too so this could be a sloppy motherfucking fight i i have no confidence on either side i don't believe that just because anders had so much success in that first fight that he's automatically going to win the second fight there's a reason we always put it our heads out of 10 times how many times is eric anders going to win and this is our opportunity to see what the second time is going to look like it could have as easily been darren stewart that lands that big bomb and had uh, eric anders on 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 wobbly legs right so it could have gone either way very close fight in my opinion i am ultimately going to go with anders i think he takes a slow safe approach grinds up against him pushes him up against the cage maybe lands a takedown or two but just grinds this one out and uh takes home a decision victory but a close fight i think it's highly volatile scott how do you feel about this fight uh, yeah, I like Anders here. I think you mentioned one of the big points is that he's with fight. He's with fight ready now. Um, that was a you know they're both pretty. They both have pretty underwhelming careers uh, based on at least what we expected out of them. Uh, so the fact that Anders at 34 is still going out and he's training with new camps that that means a lot to me. Um, he's he's bigger than him. He's Anders. Anders is bigger than him. He's got a better. He's got more power. He's got a better clinch game. He's got better wrestling. Um, I think he's the worst boxer, but with the power i don't know if that matters if the if stewart's path to victory is to go out there and outbox him without getting taken down or clocked i, I just i don't like that path to victory so i'm gonna pick anders all right scrap bring us home how are you feeling about this one do you think that darren stewart reverses the fortunes of the last fight or do you think that we see eric anders have success and get the victory this time yeah i think line's probably a bit about right maybe a little bit of value on anders um 
yeah, like Scott said, I, I don't usually read like massively into camp changes, but I think the difference between with whatever Anders was doing beforehand, where he would just come out and like I had no idea what the guy was trying to do. He'd just kind of walk forward and yeah, fucking seem to have no process whatsoever to his game. Um, then going to fight ready, obviously that's a massive difference. Having like a concise game plan, you can see he's actually going out there and trying to do specific things. So I think that alone is just like a massive upgrade for him and will allow him to kind of like leverage his physical tools. Um, so yeah, I think it's about right. Um, I mean, yeah, I like that ends by KO because I think, yeah, they could either go in there like the first fight and swing and it's two big guys who hit pretty hard, but neither is particularly great defensively. Um, and then both have shown that they might guess out. So I think in the third round, you know, whatever, if they're tired, one gets on top of the other, I think a finish is pretty live. But yeah, money line probably about right. Gun to my head, bit Anders. But yeah, uh, pr- I'd probably favour the, the the ends by KO. There we go. And that brings us to our prelim headliner now. A banger of a fight. Probably the fight that I'm looking forward to second most right under Hakim Dawadu and Movzar Ivloev. We got a banger between Drew Dober and Brad Riddell. Uh, Riddell was slow to get to the scales. I believe he was the second last guy to hit the scales. Didn't look so confident when he actually stepped on the scale, but he did end up making the, the lightweight limit and he was able to, you know, Again, make the weight. Uh, and in terms of odds, we're talking about Drew Dober coming in at minus 140, plus 120 ish for Drew uh, for Brad Riddell. Uh, I'll kick the breakdowns off for this one. I do like uh, Drew Dober here. I do think he lands the more impactful shots. I do think he's a great kickboxer. It feels like a, a, Muay, Thai, uh, a Muay Thai versus American kickboxing type of fight here. And we'll see which one actually rain, ends up reigning supreme. I'm going to end up going on the Drew Dober side of things. Now, I do think that Brad Riddell is a little bit higher in terms of the output. Uh, and I'm sure Scott will. D- dribble us with the numbers there once we actually get to him but uh, i do think that riddell will have the advantage in that aspect but i think that this is a large step up from what brad riddell has been facing in the past right going from jamie malarkey and and alex de silva to jordan Ober, i think is a, it's a pretty significant step up in competition so we'll truly get to see what brad riddell is made of here but i do think that the cardio advantage goes to brad or sorry drew, drew dober i think if anybody wrestles or ends up in the clinch position is probably going to be because uh drew dober initiates those sequences and i think he will be successful in uh going that path if that's what he chooses to do but even if this remains one of those fights where it's a stand-up battle uh, i think drew dober gets the better of the exchanges again he might be beat on the volume ever so slightly but i think that he'll uh you know land the more impactful and damaging shots and that's what the judges will end up scoring now the last thing i'll say about this fight the under two and a half is at plus 150 and if this was like lock of the night 2020 i'd probably make this a dog of the night play for myself as i truly believe i love taking advantage of those spots when we have two solid strikers who have good power in their hands and we expect the the fight to play out for 50 minutes in the striking realm more often than not i'll try to you know take advantage of that uh, plus money but i feel like it's a trap spot so i'm going to maybe staying away from that i'll ultimately be taking away uh, taking dober to win this fight via decision but this, this one's going to be a firecracker man this one's going to be a really fun fight that i can't wait to see play out but i will go with the american and uh drew dober to win this fight via decision scott drop those numbers on us and then eventually tell us who you actually think is going to win this fight yeah i don't know the exact numbers i wrote down they both land around, damn it damn they it both scott. Land roughly 4.3 <laughs> both around 4.3 significant strikes per minute so i actually don't think the volume would be a big difference here um you know it's a tough fight to call yeah. uh Riddle is obviously more credentialed with this kickboxing record, but I think they're pretty even on the feet. Like I said, volume will be very similar. Uh, I actually think Dober has a slight power advantage. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't really figure out who I wanted to go with here. So I guess like the X factor is that Dober could potentially wrestle. He probably has the better grappling, so I, I would lean him that way. But it's a very even fight. 
All right, all right. Uh, Scrap, how are you feeling about this pretty competitive matchup that we got between Dober and Riddell? Uh, yeah, full disclosure, I'm like massively biased towards any CKB guys just being from the same scene um, in this part of the world. Uh, but I do like Brad here. Like, I, I think it's like a pick and fight or maybe even a slight lean to Brad. Uh, agree with Scott. I do think Dober probably has like the harder one, one punch like power. Um, for me, it's just like the depth of Brad's striking game. Um, Dober's a really good pressure fighter, but that's kind of all he's shown that he's able to do on the feet. And I don't think he's just going to be able to walk that Brad down and hit him. You know, like Brad, Brad's got a lot of depth to his striking game. He's world-class kickboxer. He's been in there with like the best stand-up guys in the world, trains with some of the best guys in the world all the time. So I think Brad can, you know, play the counter, get his own, um, pressure game going. I wouldn't be surprised if Brad is actually the one looking to initiate a bit of wrestling here. I don't think he's going to have like massive success. I'm not expecting him to go out there and like grapple for Drew Dober or anything like that. Um, but he has been like doing a lot of wrestling. So I wouldn't be surprised if he just mixes it in just to give Dober something, something else to think about. But yeah, for me, it's just going to be like the, the depth and the like nuance of Brad's striking game. I think we'll get him a decision here. I love that nobody's touched on the Islam Mahachev fight because it obviously has no bearing on how this fight is going to go. But uh, Gugabe, we did see a solid stretch of wins for Drew Dober last time around. Uh, Paul Reyes knocked him out in the first round. Nazra Akras pulls off a big upset there, knocks him out in the first round. And then Alexander Hernandez finishes him in the second round. I'm giving him a mulligan for the Mahachev fight because pretty much everybody deserves one against uh, Mahachev. How do you feel about Dober in this matchup going up against another striker with uh, Brad Rodella? Do you think he get his ha gets his hand raised? Dober's a bit weird because, like, I've been quite big on the Dober surge. Like, I took him against Nandes because Nandes sucks. Um, Reyes can't take a punch anymore. And, like, I had him against Nazareth plus 250, but, like, I don't think that fight went long enough to really mean anything. Like, you know, Dober clocking him inside a minute was always a possibility, but I'm not going to, like, do victory laps and, like, yeah, it's a first-minute KO. Who cares? I think, the, I think the main issue here is going to be that Dober starts a lot harder and quicker than Riddle. So if I was going to bet Riddell, I'd probably try to get on him again a bit later because I think probably an issue where Dober will probably come out the uh, or kick, uh, kick down the door a lot quicker. And, you know, Dober hits hard. He's very for, 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 ferocious as hell, and you never know if he can just um, get in Riddle's face and, like, get the early KO. But I think Riddell should pull pull away down the stretch. I like the end KO. I know it's it, I know it's a trap spot where they land 500 strikes each. It's like Barboza, um, Burgos or something like that. Where like you know they're gonna land 5,000 strikes each, but like it's not gonna come to the very last minute. It's like you kind of have to play the under there because you know you're getting that many lands from two power power punches. But also, Dober historically very durable. Riddell's like never been hurt in kickboxing, but like you know I think they're both definitely premier hitters and like. Riddell's power is getting a bit like, it's probably getting a bit um, too little cre credit just because like against Sylvie probably finishes him without that weird um, judge deciding to jump in there and calling it an eye when it wasn't. Yeah. And Malaki taking one of the greatest beatings in UFC history. But like I was actually sitting behind Malaki's family during that fight <laughs> and they were losing their shit when he almost took him out. Like, yeah, I, yeah, that was incredible. That, that The image of him punching him on his knees is just like one of the most, <laughs> I think that should be like in the UFC highlight reel where he just fucking goes back. <laughs> They should have Obviously, a whole thing. Obviously, he needs to. He's one. That That's just like one of the big moments. That's just like one of my favorite like moments in UFC history, just in terms of just pure. I don't know. What is this? Yeah, if, yeah, if you guys haven't seen uh, if you guys haven't seen Malarkey versus Riddell, please go uh, go watch that fight. Absolutely amazing fight debut for both guys. But yeah, go go ahead, Gugabe. You can finish your thought. Third round of that fight is one of the best full time. First two rounds of fight rounds are pretty good, then third round just goes insane. Because like Malaki kind of meme it just hurts him out of nowhere, then like Riddell just takes it personally. Um, 
Yeah, that was a great moment. But otherwise, um, yeah, I, I like the under here. I, I'm very aware I'm going to be screaming at the TV being like, for fuck's sake, you guys just landed 500 kill shots. Why is nobody dead? But you also kind of have to play a plus money over when you're going to get 200 kill. You're going to get 200 massive shots. If you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, you see your side, logic. Sorry, in terms sorry. of a side, uh, you're picking uh, Riddell or, or Dober here? I like Cradell plus money, but I feel like the live entry is probably the better spot just because I feel like Dover comes out, starts quicker. So, yeah, it's a good, it's a good chance to see. I think Dover picks up the early lead, then Riddell winds it back. So, like, why pre-bet? And also gets you, gives you a chance to see if Dover's going to wrestle or not. But, like, I'm very curious to see what Dover's game plan's going to be. If Dover decides to cage, decides to try clinch fucking or wrestling, it's like, all right, that's, that's what we're doing now. But on the other hand, if he just gives them a striking match, I think Dover starts harder, and then probably Riddell has to pull up, probably has to pull back from around down. All right, all right. I'm very much looking forward to that fight, and hopefully it's a barn burner and not Drew Dober just trying to hump the leg of Brad Riddell for 15 minutes. All right, that wraps up the prelim portion. I do want to remind you guys, please do hit that like, hit that subscribe, and obviously go follow our guys that we have on the panel this week. The, the links to the Twitter channels are in the description below, so you don't even have to go out there and search. You don't even have to type in anything. Just hit that link and hit that follow and I'm tr- I promise you guys, you guys will be very thankful because these guys are very, very sharp and they know exactly what the hell they're talking about. All right, we're pretty much on to the main card here and we got uh, pretty chalky Jamal Hill at two, minus 300 at, at certain sites. Minus 265 is the best line that I currently see. Uh, we got plus 245 on Paul Craig. I'm actually going to let uh, Scott kick this one off. Do you think that uh, Hill is worthy of that minus 300 line uh, or do you think that Bear Drew can pull one more out of his ass? Uh, I'm I'm picking Hill, but uh, I think it's a bit steep. You know, he's uh, there's a lot to like about him. He's a huge 205er, 79-inch reach, southpaw, lands 7.9 significant strikes per minute in his last four. And that includes that huge, uh, impressive KO over OSP. Uh, however, I think there's concerns. You know, he's 30 years old and only been fighting about three years, and he's also was taken down six times by Stoic, by Stosic. Probably saying that yeah. not wrong. Um, that's concerning. Uh, unfortunately, when you look over at Paul Craig, uh, there's nothing but concerns. I mean... He's got a sneaky BJJ game, but it, it's not elite. And besides that, there's really not a whole lot of substance to his game. His four-fight unbeaten streak is against uh, Old Man Shogun twice and two real just not great fighters. And if we if we ignore those two last-second submissions, he would he would be 0-6 right now against the six best guys he's ever fought. So um, and I also think he lost his Shogun the first time too. So there, there's just not much to go off, not much to like about him. So... Uh, I, you have to pick Hill to win, but I do think that they're due to the the takedowns of Stosic hit. There is a pretty obvious path to victory for Craig, so that makes me worried about a negative three hundred line. For sure, Scott hit the nail on the head in terms of that Jamal Hill is still kind of green, right? Like th- three years into his MMA career, but he shows a lot of promise. I, I did like what we saw in the OSP fight, his ability to get back to his feet over and over again against Darko Stosic, even though he got taken down six times in that fight. But I feel like the kid has a bright future, but he really needs to get it going now. Luckily for him, he's in a very thin, light heavyweight division, so he can make a name for himself pretty quickly. Scrap, are you on that Jamal Hill side, or do you think the, the Bear Jew uh, can, can pull off another submission here? Yeah, no, I think Jamal Hill probably should wipe him out. Um, Paul Craig just is terrible. Um, He's gotten like a little bit more confidence in his stand-up, but he's kind of just, you can see him, he's like, oh, I can just stay on the outside and just kick really hard. But anytime someone gets into boxing range, his head just shoots straight up. He backpedals in a straight line into the cage. I think uh, Jamal Hill's range and just being a southpaw is going to be a little bit too much for him. I think he's just going to touch Craig over and over with that left hand. He's probably going to knock him out. 
Craig's takedowns are terrible. Uh, I don't really see that happening for him. It could, you know, just because they're big 205-pound guys. So maybe sloppy exchange. He manages to get Hill down as Hill tries to get up. He takes his back or something. But, yeah, I, I think that's really his only path unless he somehow randomly boops him on the feet. So I'd say, like, Jamal Hill at the current line is pretty fair. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd pick Jamal Hill by knockout probably within the first two rounds. I like it. I like it. Gugabe, how do you feel about Jamal Hill here? Do you think he goes out there and does pretty much what the public expects him to do? Uh, I think Craig's always underrated. Like, I met quite a bit of Craig KO last time, which was a good spot. It was nice he actually went for take KO. I've got the opposite thing against uh, Vinicius Moreo, where he had him knocked out when he went for the fucking re-naked joke. Because it was a flip from, like, plus 900 to plus 150, and it was, like, really annoying because, like, Moreo could have been waived. Um, Craig's actually been wrestling. He's actually, like, wrestling, like, in terms of like enthusiastically and like yeah i think there's probably value on him at this price i think hill people are getting a bit because again how good is hill's bottom game like we don't know uh so it's like if craig puts one's back what's going to happen uh, yeah i i can't see how you play minus 300 that kind of thing hanging hanging over his head like possibly hill's fight off his back but you know you've really got this is mma you've really got to be able to cover this guy gets grappled before you start playing minus 300 unless it's like an elite talent like um What's the name? Um, Closer Shields, and at which point it doesn't matter whether they get grappled or not, they'll just knock them out. But <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jamal Hill might not have this technique or heart of Closer Shields. And yeah, just, I, I just I don't see it. I, I think the over is kind of interesting as well. I think Craig's chin gets um, unfairly maligned. Like he got whacked hard by Rowtree and Pedro. And the Menifield KO was a really weird situation where he like fell over, then he got like fucking, you know, he kind of fell over and got nuked it wasn't like it was a standard striking situation but like i'm actually reasonably high on hill normally because i think his sheer work rate's actually you know it stands in quite good stead and like everyone it's just a weird matchup because like i think craig's probably beside but it's a really bizarre matchup for sure. I'm hoping for some violence regardless. I, I think that this should be a fun fight to at least kick off the main card here and hopefully, uh, you know, entertain some of the casual viewers that we're going to be having. Guaranteed, we're going to have a ton of casual viewers, especially with Nate Diaz on the card here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got... Um, uh, Actually, I didn't even give my my take here on Jamal Hill and um, Paul Craig, so I'll actually give you guys that. Uh, I do like Jamal Hill here. I think minus 125 on the KO uh, is accurately lined. I think he goes out there and kind of starches uh, Paul Craig pretty easily here. Uh, I'm not super impressed with the wrestling game of Craig. If he did have some solid chops there, I wouldn't be as as confident as I am in Jamal Hill in this spot, but I do think that we'll see Hill go out there and starch him. There is a little bit of a rivalry as well. There, you know, you've, We've seen the video of them chirping at each other, and obviously the Twitter uh exchanges that they've been having since the first time they were scheduled a couple months ago but i do think that we'll see a, a solid highlight reel finisher from jamal hill who i believe is uh improving on a fight to fight basis pretty pretty uh uh i want i don't want to say exponentially because that just you know that, that just makes people believe that he's a, a superstar at this point in time but he is improving pretty well from a fight to fight basis and I, you got to believe he's been working his jujitsu chops this entire training camp in case he does find himself off of his back but i'm hoping that he doesn't need to you know utilize that at all and can go out there and start paul craig as i believe most people expect him to do this weekend all right that brings us to our next fight we do have damian maya going up against below muhammad and i'm actually going to let scrap capper kick this one off we got uh minus oh 215 on below plus 195 on damian maya are you going to take your balls out and trust the 40 plus year old brazilian once again at plus money as i did unfortunately last week with francisco trinaldo how are you feeling about damian maya this weekend 
Uh, I think he's pretty live to, you know, get the sub within the first seven minutes, depending on, you know, what pace that first seven minutes occurs at. You know, we've never really seen Bilal have to defensively grapple against anyone close to Maya's level, you know. Um, in the big cage, like, Bilal should be able to stay fairly elusive. But, I mean, for that, you know, Maya's going to do what he's going to do. So, yeah, I like a bit of Maya sub, plus 450. Uh, no way you touch Bilal at the current line because there's a real good chance that Maya subs him early or backpacks him for a round and you get a better price after the first round and Maya gets tired and dies. So, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, look to live bet Bilal, but also I think Maya sub is, is pretty live as well. Yeah, I think uh, Maya's getting a little bit of disrespect here. But Gugabi, are you giving any credence to Mr. Bilal Mohammed, who seems to be a, a fan favorite now? He has his own YouTube show. Remember the show? Obviously, he has a ton of uh, heat coming off from his social media presence. And I definitely believe that has an, uh, an effect on the betting line here. But do you actually believe it should be uh, you know worse than minus 200? Um, I think that, again, it's kind of a binary coin flip kind of question. If he can stop Myers taking downs in round one, then Myers fucked. Like, that's just how Myers' career is. <laughs> like, but we haven't really, you know, he hasn't really tried to stop takedowns from Ebois since Contre ages ago. I mean, Contre was on in like five days' notice and was just diving out of nowhere with no setup. I kind of like the ends inside the distance. I feel like, I feel like Myers could just be done because, like, even like Chen Wise, Myers' most recent fights are what? Ben Askren, not a knockout for it. He um, choked out Lyman Good in the minutes. Like, well, he didn't get punched. Burns killed him. And Tony Martin was a weird fight where, like, even Martin kind of dropped him around throw. So, I, I, you know, again, Muhammad brings a solid pace. I think it's, it's quite possibly, quite possible it just gets very ugly towards the end of the fight where just it's just Malal just punching him a lot. And, like, Maya could always just something in the first round. You know, it's, it's far from impossible. So, yeah, with that in mind, I like my pre-fight. Probably look to jump off after a round or so because if he hasn't got the sub, you're probably not getting, it's probably not going anywhere good from there as a rule of thumb. And, like, honestly, even Jewel probably couldn't be too bad here because I could see a 10-8 either way. Like, if Muhammad just beats the fuck out of him in round three, I would be, seems about right. Yeah, I'm actually, I am favoring uh, Damian Maya ever so slightly here, especially at the line that he's currently at. Uh, in terms of... Uh, the, the thing that kind of surprised me a little bit was actually his betting line against Gilbert Burns. He was only a plus 120 dog going into that fight. And I understand that it was before Gilbert Burns became the Gilbert Burns that we know him to be right now. But he was on the path to becoming that Gilbert Burns that we, you know, got the title shot, got that dominant victory over Tyron Woodley. But uh, David Maya had some good spots against him too. You know what I mean? He got his back. He had <clears throat> very advantageous position. Excuse me. Sorry. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, he had a very advantageous position against a guy in Gilbert Burns, who's obviously a very good jiu-jitsu player himself. But I feel if, if Bilal Muhammad fo- finds himself in that position, we, we don't know what's going to happen because Bilal has really not fought many, you know, grapple-heavy uh, fighters in the UFC. Like we said, Rank Country is probably the closest, but he came in on super short notice, so we don't really get a great uh, look at what that would, fight would have looked like if Rank Country got a proper training camp for that. But Damian Maia is the highest level jiu-jitsu player that he's fought. Uh, he's definitely the f- only fighter that he's fought uh, in the UFC that's going to be going for takedowns as as thoroughly as Damian Maia does. And Damian Maia doesn't necessarily need to get a takedown, right? He can. He's one of those guys that, from the clinch, if you give him a, a his back a little bit, he's going to jump on your back just like he did against Lyman Good. Uh, he's going to find those positions where he's going to be able to take advantage in the clinch. And as soon as he gets his paws around you, 
he's going to try to suck this into the jiu-jitsu realm. Now, if Bilal Muhammad had more power in his hands or was known to be a little bit more of a devastating striker, I'd be concerned for Damian Maya here, right? That's something that... Uh, pretty much anybody can tell you but Bilal is one of those guys that I don't think is great at anything but he's really good at pretty much all of MMA right he doesn't have a background specifically in one thing he's a mixed martial artist which makes you know sets him apart from some of the lower level guys that he's fighting like the Diego Limas and stuff but Damian Maya is probably the highest level of opponent that he's faced albeit it's Damian Maya who's going to be turning 44 in November but I truly think that the, the the threats that Maya brings to this fight is something that Bilal Muhammad has never dealt with in the UFC, uh, probably not even in uh, the, his regional scene too. Uh, I think the closest guy that comes to a, a grapple-heavy approach is Steve Carl. He beats him over a five-round title fight in Titan FC. But I, I, again, it's a different approach with what you're getting here with uh, Damian Maya. I think Takashi Sato is probably the only guy that had grappling success against Bilal Muhammad, albeit for a minute or so. Uh, I think in the second round or something where he's able to like, uh, you know, at least accrue a decent amount of top control. But Damian Maya is a big, big dude. A lot of people forget he used to fight at 185 pounds, even got a crack at the title at, uh, back at UFC 112. And then once he came down to 170 pounds, you really see him start to tower over most of his opponents and kind of his his strength is enough to kind of just suck the fight into that jiu-jitsu realm and for him to be successful. So I am going to go with Maya. I think it was Scrap that actually brought up the point. Uh, Maya by a submission is plus 400. You got to you gotta sprinkle a little bit on that just because we've never seen Bilal Muhammad truly threaten in that realm. So I, I like Maya here. I, I'll take shit once again. You know, I picked Jock Ray to beat Andre Munez. I take Francisco Trinaldo to beat Muslim Salikov. And I'll go with the 40-plus-year-old Brazilian once again because I never learned my lesson. And I'll go with uh, Damian Maia to win by submission probably in the second round. Scott, how are you feeling about this matchup, brother? Yeah, I'm also on Maya. Like, it, All right. It's Sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough when someone's 43 years old and, like, coming off 15-month layoff and got knocked out in under three minutes. But, uh if I mean, like you said, he had good moments in that Gilbert Burns fight while it lasted. Uh, and 2019, like, wasn't that long ago, he racked off three solid wins. And 2018, 2017, he went three five hard rounds without the time the top three welterweights in the world. Like, it's it, it's pretty aggressive to just say he's shot. I, I, it's possible, but I don't think we know that yet. And if if we look at his record outside of the 2011 loss to Munoz, the guy's never lost to someone that hasn't fought for a title or been a champion. So this is a big step down. Every time he's had these step downs, he's he's won and when when you look at Bilal Muhammad you know 13 fights in the UFC his best win is like a garbage split decision over Tim Means like the guy hasn't really come out here and and shown us much um and of those 13 fights he's never really fought anyone that's tested him in the grappling or wrestling department and you you nailed it in the head with the Sato fight you know he didn't get off his back in that fight the round ended he had he showed that he like it wasn't it was a short period of time but he, he really didn't have an answer to get off his back uh, and now he's going to go and he's going to fight arguably one of the greatest MMA grapplers of all time. It seems like a bit of a stretch to me. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take my, yeah, if there was, like I said, as if there was more of a knockout threat from Bilal Muhammad, I wouldn't be as confident in Damian Maya as I am. But I do think that Damian Maya has the chops to go out there and pull off the upset here. All right, we go on to our first five-rounder that we got between Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. Uh, I believe biggest favorite on the card here, Mr. Uh, Leon Edwards coming in. Now it seems like there's actually some money coming in on Nate Diaz, but still minus 550-ish for Leon Edwards, plus 475 for Nate Diaz. Uh, Gugabe, I'll actually let you kick this one off. Who are you, who are you liking in this spot? Do you you think the chalk goes out there in chalks or do you think that nate diaz pulls off a, a tool nine miracle um minus 600 is a bit tired is a bit wide I, I, i'm not betting diaz but like edwards can be a bit hesitant to actually put the stamp on the fight and diaz is going to throw a lot of strikes which you know you never know 
but um, I got some early KO at plus 250 for um, Edwards. I think it's I think it's fairly live. You know, Diaz does awfully against kicks. Edwards builds into them well. Edwards does crack. Like, he has that seven-second knockout against what's his name. And, like, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, the, the, the elbows, Diaz will bleed, like, badly. And, you know, you never want to win on the cut stop, but I think it's definitely a um, possibility, a strong one. Um, otherwise, um, Edwards should be just pretty comfortable. Fuck him up. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, like he's a punching back. Yeah, yeah. Um, main issue, main issue I could see is if the, if Edwards decides to only win by like three strikes around and then gets fucked on the judges' scorecards or something, which is possible because like Edwards is particularly popular and he can leave the margins very tight. But otherwise, should be fine everywhere. Like Diaz is not very good. Yeah, I've had people like question me that like the entire week, how does Nate Diaz win this fight if he wins it? And I think it's Gugabi kind of touched on it. It's, it's volume, staying in Leon Edwards' face, not giving him the space that he needs to breathe. And he's drowned people in the past, right? The one fight that comes to, to mind is, is the Michael Johnson fight, right? That was a fight that he wasn't supposed to win. He goes out there and outstrikes Michael Johnson over the majority of three rounds. But this is a five-rounder against an elite welterweight who deserves, in my opinion, you know, an, a legit number one contender fighter, at least the title shots. Uh, yeah, it's tough for me to see how Leon Edwards loses this fight it's it's what i just laid out for you if nate diaz is, is successful in doing what i just said then yeah probably he wins this fight and there have been fights in the past for leon edwards that have gone five rounds that he's actually if i'm not mistaken he's dropped a round or two at least the fourth or fifth round to uh donald strony or Rafael dos Anjos. It, it can happen where his his activity wanes uh, in one of the later rounds, but he can't do that against Nate Diaz here. I think the approach that uh, Leon Edwards may take, and a lot of people think on surface that Leon Edwards is just a striker. He has a decent grappling game too. He does a hunt for submissions at times. Not saying he's going to go out there and submit Nate Diaz, but he does a good job in terms of his controlling his opponents from on top. And I think that Nate Diaz, with his lack of takedown defense and his uh, willingness to kind of just play guard and hope that he can throw up a submission off of his back, it's going to come to bite him in the ass. And I think that. Leon Edwards should win at least two of these rounds with a grapple heavy approach and then uh, at least another two rounds with the striking heavy approach. I'm seeing the narrative out there that people want to go out there and play uh, Leon Edwards to win by TKO inside the distance because Nate Diaz has scar tissue and he cuts open easily. But like that's something very tough to just to fixate on and to say this is definitely going to happen like that that's it's it's a rarity that actually happens like that that cut against jorge masvidal really wasn't that bad we have to remember that was down at new in the new york state which is still relatively new to the mma world their doctors are trying to be super safe super you know super cognizant of what the what the fans and the masses are seeing especially in a in an event that's taking place in their state so i believe that's why they actually ended up stopping the fight if that happened in vegas that judge is going to be like bleed on brother let's get the last uh, round and a half in this fight because uh, people want to see this fight. This is the main event, the BMF fight. This is what everybody wants to see. But New York's a little bit pussy, and they're just like, nah, let's 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 stop this fight right now. But uh, yeah, I fully would have expected that fight to go the full five rounds, just as I expect this one to. I believe Gugabe put it on the head in terms of uh, uh, Edwards by decision. I think that's the spot that I'd be chasing as well. Um, I think that currently sits at uh, Edwards by decision plus 165. I think that's a great line. I think he molly whops him from round one to round five at most. I think Nate maybe gets one round, but I'd even be surprised if that happens. But I do like Edwards by decision in this spot, and I think he cruises relatively easily. Let's be honest. The only reason Nate Diaz is in this spot is because he's Nate Diaz. Nobody else is just going to you know, come back from a, a loss and get a, a high-profile fight like this against a guy that probably deserves a, a title shot. And especially getting a non-main event, non-title fight five rounder only nate diaz or conor mcgregor could probably do that at this point in time so yeah i got edwards edwards by decision at plus 165 i love that spot scott you're gonna throw some nate diaz fire on us or are you gonna you're gonna go with the leon edwards squares over here 
Yeah, I mean, you have to go Edwards. Nate Diaz, uh, he's a natural 155. But when you look at all his best performances, whether it's Cerrone, Johnson, Connor, like they're they're all against 155ers. Um, even if they're at 170, they're against natural 155ers. And we've seen what happens when he fights natural 170ers, whether it's uh, Masvidal, Rory, Kim, like they they just bully him. They beat him up and it's, it's not even competitive. Uh, so now you got Edwards, who's a legit 170er, like you said, on the verge of a title shot with a with a very strong striking set skill set. So it, it seems pretty obvious Edwards is going to win. I like it. I like it. Scrap, bring us home, baby. Don't throw a wrench in our plans. Yeah, nah, yeah. Ridiculous mismatch. Um, yeah, I got on that early KO line, like plus 250 as well. Um, I just don't see any way where Nate just doesn't eat a shit ton of strikes and take heaps of punishment. I don't think his durability is like what it once was, as we saw in the Masvidal fight. Like, as tough as the guy is, Neon, like Leon's going to hit him a lot, really hard. We saw him come out hard against Bilal, like throwing heat. Um, and then, yeah, Nate's been leaning on like his own clinch game a lot uh, lately to get the win over Pettis. And if he wants to hang out against in the clinch against Leon, that's like the dude's thing is elbowing your face off from the clinch. So, yeah, I, I think Leon finishes him probably doesn't like flatline him but it'll be some kind of mercy stoppage he's gonna just whatever to the legs the body the head cut stoppage it's all live yeah i just banana banana peel spot all right we are absolute squares here picking the minus 600 favor but you got to do what you got to do at certain points all right that brings us to our co-main event between davison figueredo and brandon moreno i believe i'm going to be kicking this one off for you guys in terms of odds we got minus two uh what is that Actually, minus 190-ish now for Davison Figueredo at five dimes, plus 175 is the return on Moreno. It seems like most other bookies have Davison hanging around that minus 220-ish range, which is probably accurate. I think there's some of that, you know, oh, Figueredo looked bad on the scales. Let's throw some money on Brandon Moreno type of money coming in. And, uh, you know, have you guys not seen Figueredo on the scales before? That's what he pretty much always looks like. It's always a tough weight cut for him. I always get flashbacks and memories of him trying to make that weight against Jared Brooks and pretty much crying on his way to the scale, uh, but still goes out there, you know, gets, you know, yeah, that was a close fight. That was probably the closest fight that he's had in the UFC outside of the one that he had lost to uh, Juicy Formiga and then obviously the draw to Brandon Moreno last time around. But I still expect uh, the, the God of War to go out there and do what the God of War does. He stalks his opponents. He, you know, a lot of his opponents get intimidated by the power that's coming their way. Um, like wide winging shots from Figueredo, but he makes it work because he's fast, he's explosive, he's able to close that distance and maintain that distance uh, at, a, at a rate that makes him comfortable, right? Brandon Moreno did a really good job in that first fight in terms of getting his jab going and i felt like that's the reason he was able to be successful in the rounds that he actually won and he was successful in terms of getting a little bit of control time against davison by taking him down i believe in that fourth round but more often than not you see davison like a cat spring off of his back if he's not jumping guillotine he does a good job in terms of digging those butterfly uh hooks pushing off against uh, his opponent and then getting back to his feet he's very he's very springy so if anybody thinks that Figueredo is going to slow down later in his fights, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think we still see a, a full-powered Figueredo come out there and you know give us what God of War actually does. And I think it's going to be predicated on him stalking Moreno for the majority of this fight. Uh, anytime Moreno wants to throw a jab, hopefully counter to try to nullify the amount of jabs that are coming his way. And uh, yeah, I think Figueredo wins this fight. Uh, I think he actually wins by decision. Moreno is durable as hell. Like, uh, I hate to be cliche, but that Mexican chin just don't crack. And he just goes out there and takes insane amounts of uh, punishment from his past opponents, yet still keeps on chugging and seeing the judges' scorecards. 
Uh, I'm expecting the same thing from Figueredo here. I think Figueredo just stalks him, maybe drops around, uh, but I do think that uh, Davison wins this fight via decision. Fun fight. Hopefully, it even lives up to half of what the last one was. That was a fight of the year contender, but I still do think that uh, we get and still with Davison Figueredo. The spot that I'd be looking at the most, Figueredo by decision. I'll give you guys that line real quick. Um, we got Davison or Figueredo by decision plus 335. I'm going to have to sprinkle a little bit of that. Scott, how are you feeling about this matchup? you think Moreno's live? you think he pulls it off? Yeah, I got Moreno. I've been pretty vocal. I don't actually think Fix is that good. Um, I, you know, getting finishes is cool, but if you can't consistently win rounds at the, like at the top level, it, you, your game plan just isn't working. And I, I think, so the last fight was actually a bit of an outlier in that he outstruck Moreno, but there were large gaps in that fight where he was getting outstruck, getting out, wrestled and i think when we look at all his fights there's there's like massive gaps of that um even and like it, it's tough to argue against results because he's getting these finishes early but if you look at the elliot fight like three minutes in like look at the stats on that there's no way he was winning that round if he doesn't get finished and same as the prez fight and same as the joe b1 fight you know he's just he's just getting outlanded on and out wrestled the entire time until he gets these finishes and we and and like i said we saw that in the gaps in the marina fight and we did see him slow down um you know he he defended takedowns well but as you see, like as the fight goes on, he spent more time off his back when he got taken down. He he didn't get away from punches as much. Moreno started really hitting that that wing over, overhand that he was throwing as the fight went on. And also, I think I think there was a bit of variance that went his way on that in the fifth round. There, Moreno actually completely slowed down in that fifth round, and I believe it was from an injury. I, I think if we if Moreno finds himself in the fifth round again, I think Figs wins that at a very low percentage. The fifth round, um, and even that third round, we like people like to say if that point wasn't taken away, Figs wins that fight. But that third round, the beginning of that round, was Moreno's best round up until that foul, which was a very flagrant foul in the third one. And then Figs got that break, and then he came back and eked out that round. No foul, no break, and Moreno wins that round 10-9 and wins that fight. So I, I think he, I think between volume, better cardio, and like you said, his insane durability, he's going to find a way to win this fight. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I do want to quickly make a caveat regarding that injury in the fifth round. I did search it up to see if he actually had an injury. Apparently, he said that there was his shoulder was just a little bit jacked up from all the jabs that he was throwing. It was no injury, but he was definitely okay. a little bit sore due to the fact that he just kept throwing that that jab out there. Scrap, uh, you going with the underdog here as well? Do you think that Moreno has some solid value there, or do you think that the god of war gets it done once again? Yeah, I'm pretty much with Scott on this one. I also think Figueredo is nowhere near as good as, like, public perception you know like being a potent finisher will tend to do that to you know how people think of you um i was on Moreno last time i'm on him again i don't just don't see how you can be going out there and laying like minus 200 or worse on figueredo when the last fight played out so close and yeah people say he only won because of the point deduction but scott you know raises a really good point if he hadn't full force punted moreno in the groin you know who's to say moreno wouldn't wouldn't have you know like taken control of that fight down the stretch um, so yeah, Moreno, clearly the value side for me. I think he, he can hang in the volume. He can, he can mix things up with his wrestling. He's got the cardio and the durability. Um, yeah. So Moreno pretty clearly the side for me. The only thing is I probably wouldn't go too big pre-fight cause I do have a hard time seeing him win the first round. So I think there's a good chance you get like plus 400 or something crazy, um, after the first round. And that's probably a good spot to jump in. Um, but yeah, otherwise pre pretty much on board with, uh, everything Scott said there. Yeah, we know that Figueredo usually starts off like a banshee in all of his first rounds. So yeah, great point brought up at Scrap there in terms of this is a great live betting opportunity, especially if you think that Moreno wins this fight. Gagabe, you gonna you gonna side with the underdog as well and leave me on an island here with Figueredo, or how are you seeing this fight go down? 
Um, yeah, I think Figueredo line's probably about the right price. Um, Moreno's tough, but again, like I was always, um, I played Moreno the first time because I was skeptical about Figueredo's gas tank, but then he proved he could do Figueredo ship 25 minutes, which was incredible because nobody should be able to do Figueredo ship for 25 minutes. Yeah, like based on the earlier fights against Joe B, he slowed down the first time, but Figueredo was a magical fucking goblin. He's just ridiculous. Like he's one of these guys you can't bet because he just keeps showing deeper. He just keeps showing crazier and crazier athletic skills. It's, it's insane. But um, yeah, I, I, I think Moreno RTD is a bit wide, though. It's like plus 700. KO was like plus 1200 here. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not going consistently, but I think it should be higher than that. Like Figueredo is very hittable and good chance it ends up being another crazy war. But like, I think minus 140 for, I mean, minus 200 for Figueroa is about where I'd price it, but I think the RTD is about wide. So, yeah. But again, like, yeah, because Moreno just has a ridiculous durability. So it's just like they can just get to, you know, just be a There'll be another crazy war. Should be good. Should be good to watching. And yeah. In terms of a side, I'm sorry, I don't think I picked up on it. Did you get Figueroa or Moreno? I think Figueroa should win. No, no bet, but yeah, Figueroa, I think Figueroa should win. Perfect, perfect. Uh, for the purpose of the show, I do need a legitimate prediction, so I, I'm glad that you're able to provide that there. All right, uh, that brings us to our main event, another rematch here. If you guys remember, Israel Adesanya fought Marvin Vittoria about three years ago now, uh, where Adesanya came out on the winning end via split decision. Uh, in terms of the odds, that time it was minus 245 for Adesanya. Uh, now he's still hovering around roughly that same mark. I did see earlier in the week he was a little bit bigger of a favorite, but it seems like a little bit of Marvin Vittoria money is starting to come in. Scott? I'm going to let you kick this breakdown uh, for us. Do you think that Marvin Vittori springs the upset, or does Izzy reign supreme in the middleweight division? Yeah, I've got Izzy here. It's an interesting fight because, like, as we saw in the last fight, like Izzy really can't get off his back. However, I don't think it's a big stretch to say that on the feet, Marvin probably can't compete. Um, at least he's, he's not going to go out there and win rounds or knock out Izzy. Um, so it all comes down to the takedown. Uh, Marvin lands 53%, 2.22 takedowns per 15 minutes, but... Uh, it's against a much different type of fighter, so I don't know how relevant that is. Um, what I do think, though, is Jan's success in wrestling came a lot from his ability to nullify Izzy on the feet. He uh, he checked leg kicks at an extremely high rate, and that really that really helped. So even though he was get, getting caught biting on feints, he was able to take the passive line and sort of just check leg kicks, and it wasn't too big of a deal. Where I think Vittori's going to get caught biting on feints, and he's either going to get over-aggressive, which is not going to go well for him, or if he gets passive, it's just going to lead to him eating those kicks. I don't think he has the same ability to check them, and in which case he's not going to be able to get inside, not going to be able to set up his takedowns in the way Jan was. So I got to go with Z. All right, Scrap. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of differing opinions regarding this matchup. A lot of people think that there's some decent value on Vittori, but uh, do you think he pulls it off, or do you think Izzy retains once again? No, I think as he puts a clinic on him. I mean, uh, yeah, Scott raised again a lot of uh, good points. I just think uh, against Jan, like, I think Izzy was expecting to be able to fluster Jan and pull out those, like, sloppy blitzes like we'd seen in the past. And then when that wasn't happening and Jan was staying really composed, like, you saw Izzy basically, like, lose his control of the distance, which he usually does so well. And he was stepping super deep in the pocket and to hit those takedowns, Jan was basically just bending over at the waist and connecting his hands because Izzy was just right there. Um, I don't think Vittori is going to be able to do that. Um, I, I expect Izzy just to pick him off from the outside. Um, Vittori will probably pretty reliably bite the mouthpiece, come forward, give Izzy plenty of chances to land counters. And then we saw against Holland, Vittori can be hurt, you know, on the feet. Um, Maybe if he manages to hit some takedowns, could happen. I, I don't think he has any massive like 
racks up any extended control time on top. I, I don't just I think the distance is going to be too much. I just don't see him getting past the kicking game of Izzy. And yeah, I expect Izzy to probably get a knockout, to be honest, um, at some point, because I just think Vittori kind of runs out of ideas and just slams his head into a brick wall until he until he gets himself knocked out. Uh, Gagabi, it's definitely hard to trust Vittori in terms of playing a disciplined game plan, especially with how we've been seeing him act over the last couple of days during fight week. The guy is a complete meathead. That's pretty much known to everybody. He, but he needs to play a pretty disciplined game plan here to go out there and nullify the striking approach of Izzy and get his grappling game going, which is probably his best way to win this fight. Do you think Vittori actually pulls it off, or do you think that Israel Adesanya retains once again? I think he's definitely live. Like Gastelum, same camp, came in a lot of trouble. First fight, the Vittori almost won it. And it's just like, there's only discipline. He just needs to keep coming forward. Like it's kind of the opposite of discipline. If he thinks about if he thinks about, thinks about what he's doing too much, he'll start backing off and he'll give Israel a chance to recover. And so my view is just like, Vittori just needs to get in his face, extend um, exchange as long as possible, go for, go for takedowns. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that Vittori is definitely the side here. Probably another guy that's probably best to enter. Like both Moreno and... Vittorio probably best to enter after a round because they're not sure they're going to have that great a um, first round. But even like with with Israel, he's traditionally been very slow. He's been a fairly slow starter. But yeah, consequentially, I'm just going. I just see Vittorio as I think Vittorio should be able to make him work. Should be able to get stuff out of him. And really, that Yarn fight was yeah. I think that's quite illustrative of how Vittorio can make this win. And unless Israel can yeah, unless, unless Israel can KO him, which I don't think he can the massive clip. But it's just an issue of you know Vittorio just does a lot of shit. He just comes forward constantly, works, makes you work, and a takedown is probably a round or a fight. Yeah. Vittori, yeah, Italy will dominate this card. Benjamini and Vittori is the parlay of the week. So you're on the Vittori side of things, yeah? Yeah, Vittori. Awesome. Pretty clearly, in my opinion. All right, so it's going to be two and two. Uh, I am on the Vittori side of things as uh, as well here. We did see him have success in that that first fight in that third round, getting uh, Adesanya down. Like I believe Scott said, uh, it didn't seem like Adesanya had much off of his back in that situation. It, even in the Yambohovich fight, and people are going to go out there and be like, oh, you know, Yambohovich, 205 or a big guy. That's probably why Izzy wasn't able to get off of his back. But Vittori was able to do it for the majority of the, the third round, the first time that they fought. And if anything, I think Vittori is even on more Mexican supplements this time around. And it's probably a bigger guy this time around than he was the last time that they fought. Um, it, it, it seems like what Israel Adesanya was successful with against Yablohovic and Marvin Vittorian earlier in their fights was that they were really biting on the feints very heavily, right? Anytime uh, Izzy, Izzy would throw a feint out there, you'd see them react to it very, uh, pretty dramatically, and Adesanya was able to capitalize on it by just landing some strikes after that, countering them, whatever it may be. But the later the fight, when it was a lot easier for these guys to close the distance and drag the fight to the ground, like Kelvin Gaston landed a, a takedown or two, I believe, in that fight, but it was just not strong enough in terms of being able to keep Adesanya down. And we know, you know, Calvin Gaston probably deserves actually to be at 170 pounds rather than 185. But I still do think that Vittori can close the distance. I think he is uh, durable enough to take what Adesanya throws at him and then eventually close the distance to drag this fight to the ground. The longer that it goes, it seems it's harder for Adesanya to, you know, really rely on his takedown defense and his ability to get back to his feet. And, you know, luckily for Jan Blohovic, he still had an extra two rounds to work with after that third round, whereas Vittori only had that third round. Now he has an extra two rounds to go out there and try to implement the same type of game plan. My one or two concerns I'll say about Vittori. One, if we see uh, Adesanya go out there and implement the same game plan that he did against Paulo Costa, beat up that calf kick, beat up that lead leg, and uh, debilitate uh, Marvin Vittori per se, and then just let his hands go and try to pick him up, pick him apart that way, because that will definitely 
hinder the success that Vittori will have in terms of letting the takedowns and being on the front foot. And then secondly, uh, is more so in terms of if Vittori... Um, if you guys remember from the Jack Hermanson fight, Vittori pretty much took off that entire third round, I, I believe, just to get his energy back up so that he can go out there and win the fourth and fifth round, which is exactly what he did. He can't take a round off against a guy like Israel Adesanya. You will pay for it dearly. So hopefully Vittori can go out there and give us at least a solid four rounds and then a, a one round where he's able to survive it. But I see him landing takedowns here, man. I see him. It's just not a good look when Adesanya looks like a fish off of his back. And before, you know, before the Blahovich fight, I, I was very very impressed with his takedown defense i was very impressed with his ability to you know get back to his feet when he spring back to his feet then i just ever so slightly forgot about the vittori fight i don't know why i just left that out of my mind when i was looking into the blahovich fight and then again blahovich uh you know shows that flaw in izzy's game uh but yeah i, I like vittori here i think there's some solid value on him i think there's even solid value on him to win by decision which is hovering around that plus 420-ish range i think that's a good spot but even at plus 220 as an underdog i think you're going getting some good value there too so there you have it. I'm on Vittori. Gagabe is on Vittori. And Scott and Scrap are on Izzy. So we'll see who comes out on the winning end tomorrow night. Uh, as I like to wrap up the show, as always, I'm going to give you guys uh, the lock of the night plays for all three of these guys so that you guys can kind of get into their minds in terms of what uh, spots they feel most confident about for this weekend. So, so we'll start off with Scott. What is your most confident play or your lock of the night play for UFC 263? Uh, give me Jojo Calderwood, negative 140. All right, I like it. I like it. Scrap, how are you feeling about this one? What's your what's your favorite uh, bet on this card? Mm, tough one. Um, for me, I'm gonna go Brad Riddell. Brad Riddell, interesting. You get a plus one twenty dog for a Scrap's most confident play on the card. And I did give a caveat to these guys. You can't give me anything worse than minus two fifty. So they might be a little bit more pressed. Because otherwise, I'm sure they would all pick Leon Edwards. Uh, Gakabe, uh, what, what's what's the spot that you feel most confident in this uh, on this card? Stephen Peterson. They just, I think he just fucks up. Hooper, like very, very edible. It's favorable. And again, he could just be the better, he could actually be the better grappler. Like I, people are acting like Hooper is like Chrome Gracie. He's not, he's nowhere near that proven. I like it. Um, for me, uh, it's actually going to be props. I do like either Jamal Hill by KO at minus 125 or Leon Edwards by decision at plus 165. Those are the two spots I feel most confident about. Uh, yeah, there you have it. You get all of our lock of the night plays there. Hopefully we're able to turn that into some money for you guys. Uh, again, make sure you guys follow these guys. Their Twitter links are in the description below. And it seems like we're going to be right in time to, to get off the stream and watch the, uh, the main event on Bellator between Douglas Ima and Yaroslav Amasov. But before we do that... I do want to spin around the horn once again just to let everybody plug in whatever they want to plug and let uh, the fans know where they can find you guys uh, if you want to continue to follow them after this stream. So, Scott, where can everybody find your stuff? And uh, go ahead and plug yourself, my brother. Yeah, nothing to plug. Like you said, uh, Twitter description in the bottom. Just click on that. There we go. At Scott underscore Shelvok. I always used to think it's Shevlock because that sounds cooler. Let's be honest. I'm sure a lot of people have screwed it up in the past. My whole life. <laughs> All right, Scrap, where can they find you uh, and plug away anything you'd like to plug, my brother? Yeah, same. Just on Twitter, but not really talking to people much on Twitter these days because most people on there are idiots. <laughs> Pretty straightforward and simple. I, I'm glad with his approach there that the, the haters do come out when you have a losing week, but they're very silent when you have a winning week. Gugabe, you've been around the industry for a while now. I know you got some things going on. It's not just Twitter for you. So go ahead and plug whatever you like to plug, my guy. 
Um, haven't really got much. I'll probably doing my tweet storm, my weekly tweet storm in probably half an hour or something when I get around to it to get lunch. Um, yeah, I've got Betfair tips up on there. It's like free stuff. Um, bad MMA is always good. And again, like this this week's pretty quiet. I think next um, event's a lot better in terms of betting. Like I can see like six good lines there already. And yeah, um, Procopio will scalp that um, O'Neill. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you and Technical Tim are going to be reviving your podcast, no? Uh, yeah, once um, for the next Connor card, whenever it is, I think next month, some July 10th. Yep. There we go. All right, make sure there you guys catch Technical Tim, who's actually going to be on the podcast mm-hmm. next week. I didn't want to put them on at the same time because you guys always hear them talking to each other. So I don't want to split them up here, but to make sure you guys check out the podcast when they revive it in July. All right, shout out to all three of the guys that we got on, Scott, uh, Scrap, uh, Capper, and Gugabe. Appreciate everybody that's uh, spending their Friday evening with us, watching Bellator on in the background. Hopefully we were able to give you guys some proper tips that you guys can go out there and turn into some cash for yourselves tomorrow night. So good luck to everybody on your bets, and I'll see you guys once again next week for the Ultimate weigh-in show uh have some fun tomorrow night and hopefully jamal hill can go out there 